Greetings and salutations to all the nice sports fans tuning in to this episode of Nice Grass, Nice People. And we got a good one for you this week. Uh, Going to be sharing some takeaways from last weekend's Masters Tournament with the RBC Heritage taking place at Harbortown. We're going to check out and see if there's any golf worth playing on Hilton Head Island. And then finally, for the first time since our Stony Sports days, Cousin Mark is coming back on the podcast to help me preview Warriors, Kings, and it's all coming up next. Yeah, look at this place. Oh, it looks more like a, a country club than a nursing home. Nice grass, nice people. Yeah, I hope you brought your bathing suit. Nice grass, nice people. I'm your host, Kyle Serlo, and I'm running solo here for the first part of this podcast. Wow. You know, it uh, it's taken me nearly five days uh, to kind of process and sort of come back to the real world after four glorious days of tournament golf in Augusta. Uh, we, we, although it is hard to say four days, right? I mean, we got like two really full days of golf and then a couple of half days but the full days were even more full than normal so it's just all i know is that 72 holes of tournament play were conducted at the augusta national golf club and in the end john rom wins his second major championship uh now a u.s open and masters winner um you know he joins sevi ballesteros Jose Maria Oafabel and Sergio Garcia as the four Spaniards to win a green jacket. It was really fun uh, both to watch and just to know that one of the game's great young players is now a Masters champion. We do certainly like it when really good players win major championships. I think it's a lot more compelling. I think it's great for golf um, to say that, you know, uh, someone like John Rahm winning the Masters is better for golf than... I don't know, somebody named, let's use Danny Willett, for example. Uh, it's just better. It's just better for the game of golf overall to have one of the game's brightest young stars to be winning a major championship. So really a tip of the cap to Mr. Rom, a really exceptional showing on his part. Um, you know, I just wanted to share a couple of my master's takeaways with you guys in addition to letting you know uh, how I felt about uh, Mr. Rom winning this thing. Uh, one thing that I was really surprised about as the Masters was going on was how okay I was with Brooks Kepka playing exceptionally good golf and potentially winning the Masters. I, I, I've i never been a big Brooks fan. I've always been more in the camp of I absolutely respect the shit out of that man's golf game because when he's playing well, he just seems like a ruthless robotic force that just uh, has a very tough time being stopped. And, you know, to watch him kind of just bend the knee on Sunday, um, you know, for as great as he played Thursday, Friday, um, by the time they went out to play the last, you know, 29 holes of golf um, of the tournament on Sunday, he kind of just looked like he didn't have anything left. And, and, And oddly enough, you know, he didn't seem... I, I've always, you know, when I think of Brooks Kepka in 2017 through 2019, I think of a, I think of a dog, a guy who is just ready to put his nose to the grindstone and just win no matter what. He's not going to suffer any fools. He is focused purely on the task. And it, he was almost sort of like a less likable um, John Wick that didn't have his dog killed and that he was a man of, of focus, right? And, you know, he gets out there, especially in 2018, you know, at Shinnecock and then, you know, at Bellary. It's just the man just could not be taken off his mark, right? He, he was deter- – it was almost Tiger-like but in a little bit of a less fun way because he just doesn't show emotion the way that Tiger Woods used to. And I just respected the hell out of Brooks's golf game even if I didn't necessarily enjoy the personality um, that was Brooks Kepka. So I was – myself pretty surprised how into Brooks I was uh, on Thursday and Friday and you know 
given all the delays that took place on Saturday, I had a lot of time to think about, you know, what does it mean if and when Brooks Kepa ends up winning this golf tournament? And I was pretty on board. I, I'm not going to say it was my number one outcome that I was rooting for um, going into Sunday morning, but I was I was going to be totally fine, and I would have been pretty stoked if Brooks Kepka had continued um, his really really solid play from Thursday and Friday and ended up winning the Masters. But as I mentioned, and as you guys are you know likely already well aware, um, yeah, he just kind of looked lifeless, right? You know, it, it was one of those things where he's just kind of making pars and making a couple sloppy bogeys, and, you know, that that's kind of where you want to see him get a little angry, and then, you know, wh- whether or not that helps or hurts, but you kind of want to see him get a little angry and start to, you know, <laughs> hit the gas pedal a little bit and see if he can't start making something happen, and he kind of, it just almost kind of felt like he was rolling over on Sunday, which was really, yeah, it was just really weird to watch. I, I, I didn't, uh, I, I, I don't really have a great explanation um, of why he looked like that. I know a lot of people, both on Sunday and then all week long, have been making the uh, the 54-hole live joke, which, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, cool joke. Uh, but, I mean, dude, this guy has won four major championships, all right? He fucking knows what it takes to win. And, you know, I have heard some people speculate that he's never quite been the same since his last major victory the PGA Championship at Bethpage Black when he almost got chased down and for the very first time or the only time of the four major championships that he won did he actually seem a little vulnerable and seem like he might be able to get got and I do wonder if that had come into the back of his mind if that played any role in him having the performance that he did on Sunday uh, at the Masters and so you know I think it's safe to say that if Brooks Kepka is really good and very competitive in you know the next handful of majors I think that is a win for golf um you know to have one of the best players in the world playing great golf it's exactly like I was saying with with John Rom golf is at its absolute best when its best players are playing well and Brooks Kepka when he is healthy is one of the game's best players and so when he plays well whether you like Brooks or not it is good for golf um and while I mentioned Rom again, it's another thing I thought was a little interesting is that, you know, in on the evening on Sunday night and then the, the days that followed, all the different golf shows, the golf, you know, PJ Tour radio, other things that I've tuned into, have I found it a little bit odd that they've all right. I shouldn't say all right, but a lot of uh, opinion makers and and you know voices and media have almost been talking about this past Masters like it was a foregone conclusion, like we all, you know, we all should have seen Ron coming. He's obviously the best player in the world. You know, this does isn't surprising and it's great. And, you know, while I do agree that John Rahm is certainly one of the best players in the world, it, it almost feels dishonest because I don't really remember that many people picking John Rahm to win this golf tournament. I felt like and, and certainly, I didn't pick John Rahm to win this golf tournament. I, I mentioned on my previous podcast with Mr. Chris Durr that it just didn't seem like it was appropriate, practical, or rational uh, to take anybody except Scotty Scheffler, given how well he was playing coming into this tournament, given the fact that he was the defending champion of the Masters. Um, a lot of other people were picking Roy or McElroy, who you know, always seems to be a favorite pick going into the Masters with the conditions being wet. A lot of people were thinking it would be just right for Rory um, to be able to, you know, fly the golf ball right to the hole, not have to worry so much about the the inner contours of all the greens and whatnot. And as we know, Rory McIlroy missed the cut. Super disappointing. Um, Honestly, kind of shocking, although not shocking all at the same time. Um, And, of course, after the fact, it was totally obvious that we all should have been picking John Rahm the whole time. I agree in that John Rahm did come into this Masters a little bit under the radar, but I have found it's weird that everybody coming out of the Masters is very clear, saying that John Rahm is clearly the number one player in the world. It's not close. We should have seen it coming, and I'm not going to lie. I, I don't regret my Scotty Scheffler pick one bit. It, I guess That was a fucking weird week for Scotty Scheffler. I, I should have kind of known something was going on with his putting uh, heading into the golf tournament, it was, I, I when I was watching live from on the Golf Channel on Tuesday or Wednesday of Masters Week, 
I saw Scotty Scheffler on the green working with his coach, doing some drills where he was putting out of like a little device. I don't know the name of this device, but he was getting a little heated. Like he he almost he looked very un Scotty Scheffler like in that he was seemed like he was raising his voice. He was getting a little upset with the way things were going on the putting green and. You know, I just have faith in one of the best players in the world that he's just, you know, working out some stuff pre-tournament that was all going to be fine when he got on the golf course. Um, It was kind of fine for one day. He did shoot kind of a lackluster, what was it, like a 68 on Thursday. Didn't even seem like he played that well. Still shot 400, just a couple shots off the lead. And then it all kind of went to shit on Friday, Saturday. His putting was just fucking abysmal. And yet he also had a kind of a lackluster day on Sunday, putted a little bit better, and he still finishes inside the top 10. So it's just a really weird week for Scotty Scheffler. Had he been able to putt even normally for him, not like necessarily a great Scotty Scheffler putting week, but a normal Scotty Scheffler putting week, he's right in this golf tournament. And he he's he's got a chance to win on the back nine on Sunday. So it's just a really strange week for Scotty Scheffler. And just kind of a it's it's just been interesting to hear a lot of the pundits after the fact um kind of dismiss Scotty Scheffler. Uh, as somebody that you know, they they didn't see winning this golf tournament. When I, I don't know. I I think had all things been equal, if they're both at their A game, I think Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm. You know, apologies to Rory. Maybe they maybe they are the two best players in golf right now. We've been thinking of the top, you know, the top of professional men's golf as kind of a three horse race between Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, and John Rahm. And you know, maybe maybe this is more of a of a two horse race. Maybe. maybe there's a tier of just Rory who's above the rest but below Rom and Scheffler. Um, despite the bad putting week, I'm still buying a lot of Scotty Scheffler stock. I think that man is very exceptional uh, at hitting and for the most time or for the most part putting the golf ball. So um, weird week for Scotty Scheffler, but a great win for John Rom. Uh, a couple other notes that I wanted to hit uh, regarding some masters takeaways here before we we move on to the other parts of the podcast. Um, I just want to let you guys know that Jim Nance is a national fucking treasure. I, I, I don't know how much longer we're going to be able to enjoy Jim Nance for. I know Jim is not particularly old, uh, if, without looking it up, I'm guessing Jim's probably in his early to mid sixties. So I certainly would like to think that we've got at least another decade of, of prime Jim Nance, uh, to enjoy at the masters, but man, God damn, when he, <laughs> the man is an assassin. I, I, that's all I have to say. Jim Nance is an absolute assassin. He took out Brooks Kepka and basically took out all of Live Golf with just one of the slyest, most awesome comments that I'm, I'm sure that everybody else noticed. If you were like me, you heard it and you kind of had to do a double take like, wait, did he really just do that? And then you were like, of course he did that. That's That, that, that was not by mistake. Brooks Kepka <laughs> on Sunday Hits his tee shot, uh, was it on 15? God, I'm getting my holes mixed up. I apologize, everybody. It's been, you know, it's been four or five days now since Sunday. And, uh, you know, hits his, you know, hits a shot into one of the patron crosswalks in the hole where he's entitled to relief. And, of course, Jim Nance, not missing a fucking beat, <laughs> tells everybody on the national broadcast, and it looks like you'll be able to find Brooks on the CW. The crosswalk. <laughs> Uh, as many of you listening to this podcast are already well aware, but uh, for any of you that don't, the CW, um, a network famous for uh, shows like The Vampire Diaries, which I don't know why, but my wife likes to watch, which confuses me because every time she has it on, I just want to gouge my eyes out. Um, but I digress. Uh, that is the network that you can find live golf tournaments on. Uh, and so Jim being able to work that into a crosswalk reference, aka the CW, was uh, it was high art. I, I, I just I, I don't know if Jim Nance is getting enough credit. I mean, he's obviously one of the most beloved figures in golf media. He's been doing an exceptional job at the Masters for over 30 years. But I do think that it uh, we we could all benefit from just remembering and and you know giving top of mind to the fact that Jim Nance is just so damn awesome. And he was complimented by Trevor Immelman this year. It was the first year that we didn't have Nick Faldo on the CBS broadcast, and I thought that was exceptional. I think Trevor Immelman, I thought he's been great all year. I thought he was a really welcome change uh, to the Masters broadcast. I thought he did exceptional. 
Um, you know, for all of the serious golf fans that are deep in the weeds, uh, I think Trevor Immelman certainly gives a little bit more insight to the hardcore golfer in terms of kind of going through different strategies and things that different players are considering when they're hitting shots. And to be able to take us viewers a little bit closer inside the mind of what the players are going through inside the ropes, uh, I think Trevor Immelman was a great addition. I thought he did a better job of that than Nick Faldo has done in the past, and I'm looking forward to uh, many masters going forward with both Jim Nance and Trevor Immelman. Both did a great job. Uh, A couple of other notes. Uh, Let's keep it on the broadcast. Masters broadcast, as always, was phenomenal. The best broadcast in golf. Uh, I know there was a lot of uproar of people getting upset with the Saturday broadcast. Um, You know, going into tape delay, apparently, you know, CBS opted to not move up its broadcast time on Saturday to show live coverage and instead tape delayed, knowing that a rain delay was coming, staying in there, uh, you know, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern time um, block on TV, where they then uh, played a recorded broadcast from earlier. A lot of people were upset. Why wouldn't you just play live golf? You know, I, I didn't... I wasn't too upset. I had been watching the Masters for five hours by the time the rain delay went in. I almost was kind of okay to take a couple hours off and and get some things done around the house. Um, But I think that's kind of missing the point. The broadcast in general is the best in golf. They put more resources, um, Augusta National and CBS do, uh, into this golf broadcast than any other one in the whole year. They did such a great job. I know I just mentioned the uh, broadcasters who did awesome. Um, You know, they always are implementing new things at Augusta that you don't see anywhere else on tour. One of the things that I enjoyed the most was behind some of the tee boxes, uh, most notably 11 and 13, you know, the the non-par threes of Amen Corner, they had these, uh, they're not man-operated, but these stationary um, cameras that they basically elevated were on the top of like 30-foot poles behind the greens that just gave such an awesome perspective for the guys teeing off. Instead of just the typical camera where you're right behind the player at ground level, these elevated shots where you kind of got to look down at the players and watch them tee off, not only did it give a way cooler view of the shot tracer, which, by the way, it was not that long ago where there was no shot tracer at Augusta National. The former chairman, Billy Payne, was not a, uh, uh, how do you say, a fan. He th- thought it felt a little unnatural to have shot tracer at Augusta. Thankfully, that is no longer the case. And these awesome camera angles uh, that they're bringing to the broadcast, combined with the shot tracer, just allowed all of us to get some views of Augusta that we hadn't seen before that I thought were such a nice touch, such a great addition to the Masters broadcast. Um, I really hope that they continue to innovate, and in all honesty, if they are able to implement some of this stuff into other broadcasts on the PGA Tour, um, as golf fans, every single one of us is going to win. We're we're all going to benefit. And then also, you know, just in terms of drone footage, you know, Augusta typically hasn't been somewhere where you've got to see a lot of drone shots, uh, of the golf course and the few that they did, especially with the leaders walking up 18, uh, Rom about to win, just showing the scene from a drone of him approaching the 18th green with all crowd is just fucking awesome. Ah, sorry, need a little uh, little sip of water there. Okay, a few other Masters takeaways that I wanted to share with you guys before, like I said, we move on to the other part of our today's podcast. Uh, we also need to give, you know, a Mike Kruko and Dwayne Kuyper style tip of the cap. Uh, to the maintenance crew at Augusta National. With all of the weather that that place got, I, I think the number that I remember was two inches of rain uh, from Saturday afternoon until play resumed on Sunday morning. And for that golf course to be looking and playing as well as it did. Now, granted, Augusta National does have more resources, certainly, than any other uh, <laughs> uh, certainly any other golf course or you know perhaps tournament in the world. The fact that they were still able to get that place playing as well as it was on Sunday is an absolute testament uh, to just how talented and dedicated the staff is there to presenting just what is probably the most perfectly maintained golf course in the entire world. So really well done to all the maintenance crew, especially, and it would be hard to not mention this uh, because I think this is going to be one of the things that people are going to remember most about the 2023 Masters is the fact that a few patrons almost died by having a huge pine tree fall on them <laughs> next to the, next to the seven. It's just I, I, I'm still trying to process how crazy that was. The video 
honestly gets more wild every time I watch it, seeing people running out from underneath that tree and just barely... I, just, again, the fact that nobody was hurt is kind of a miracle. Um, it's also kind of surprising that you just don't see stuff like that happen more often. Um, yeah, that was an absolutely crazy scene. I think, other than just John Rom being the Masters champion, I do think that's probably going to be one of the couple things that people do remember most um, about this Masters, especially when you're going two, three, five, ten years in the future and people say, hey, what do you remember about the, the 2023 Masters? John Rom won. Tree almost killed a bunch of patrons. Uh, who knows what else? Maybe they'll remember Brooks being, you know, having the lead after uh, after 36 holes. I, but I do think the Tree and John Rom's victory will, uh, yeah, will, will in fact be the things that people remember most. Just very thankful nobody was uh, harmed with that tree falling down. But man, what a crazy video! What a scene! I can't remember that group that was on. Was it the 15th? the 15th green and you know saw the the tree falling over on 17t i think one of the caddies just couldn't you know saw what was happening and just turned away and like covered his eyes it was just like oh shit oh, it's, uh, luckily again nobody uh <laughs> nobody was hurt but man what a, what a crazy scene it would have been wild to be on property when that was happening um and then the last thing i wanted to mention regarding the masters is on sunday night when it was all over with you know i I didn't want to say I was sad. There was obviously a little, there was a little feeling of melancholy that had taken over me, and I think it was a combination of a couple things. At at first, you know, I thought it was maybe because we didn't have the drama that we always hoped for on the back nine at Sunday. Uh, John Rom having you know leading by se- you know several strokes, pretty much all of the back nine on Sunday. You're kind of wondering to see if. Either he maybe tr- might trip a little bit, or if Brooks wants to make a big move at Amen Corner, once that didn't happen, barring a, uh, an, you know, a historic meltdown, um, it was pretty much in the bag uh, for John Rom. So we didn't get the drama and that you know that we are always hoping for on Sunday at the Masters, and I thought maybe that was a reason that uh, you know I just wasn't as elated as I was hoping I would be on Sunday night following the Masters, but then. I kind of just realized that the Masters is a lot like a great golf trip in that the lead-up to the trip, the lead-up to the Masters is so exciting. Uh, it's, it, you know, <laughs> it, it almost feels like it can't get here soon enough, but you're also having so much fun prognosticating or, or looking forward to or packing for your trip or whatever it might be that it's almost as exciting as the trip itself. And then you get into the Masters, and much like a golf trip, you kind of just go into a daze, right? You kind of are just living in the moment. You're just enjoying every second of it. You're not really thinking about the lead-up. You're not thinking about what happens afterwards. You're just trying to enjoy every single second of the Masters or a golf trip that you possibly can. And then when it comes for departure day on a golf trip, and all of a sudden you realize that this thing that you've just been enjoying for the last couple of days and looking forward to the last couple of months is just about to end, um, it kind of hits you in the... You know, the crew that I go to Band of Dunes with every year, we always kind of call it the Band and Blues, right? The day that you leave and then those couple days right after you get home, you just, yeah, like I said before, you just feel a little bit of melancholy. You just kind of feel like, man, I can't believe, I can't believe it's over. And it hit me that that is exactly how I feel when the Masters ends. You, you just feel a little, a little bit in disbelief that something that you love and care about so much that, Ultimately, the grand scheme of things doesn't really matter all that much, but, you know, something that I care about quite deeply, uh, the Masters, is over. And on Sunday night, you are as far away from having Masters golf as you are at any other point in the year. You are you are firmly a year away from having another Masters tournament to watch and look forward to. And it kind of gets you, you know, <laughs> it makes you a little sad. Uh, <laughs> certainly makes me sad. Now, that's not to say that I didn't enjoy the hell out of this golf tournament. I really did. Again, congratulations to John Rahm. What an amazing win. Uh, a great Masters tournament on the whole. Um, but obviously a little sad. We have to wait all the way until next year for another Masters. Luckily, the Masters is the first major of the season. So we only have just about a, a little over a month to wait before we get to the PGA Championship at Oak Hill, which looks like it is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm all, you know looking forward to prognosticating and uh, previewing that PGA Championship here with my co-hosts here over the next uh, 
the next few weeks. But as far as Masters goes, we're, we're going to have to save that one for next spring. Um, so to put a bow on it, for my Masters takeaways, congratulations to John Rahm. Congratulations to golf fans. Uh, you guys were treated to a really fun golf tournament. And, uh, man, I can't wait until next year. Now for the Trip Scout segment of Nice Grass, Nice People, we try to investigate uh, whether or not the course the tour pros are playing is a great golf course for us, the common golfer, and to see if maybe, just maybe, it would be worthwhile to plan some kind of a golf trip for you and your buddies to wherever the pros are playing that particular weekend. as of right now, the first round is already underway at the RBC Heritage at Harbortown, a magnificent uh, Pete Dye design golf course, uh, one that a lot of prominent architects today, uh, specifically Tom Doak, um, cites Harbortown as you know one of the great modern American golf courses and one that inspired him and his career quite a bit. Uh, he did work for Pete Dye for uh, quite some time before he started designing golf courses on his own. And again, Harbortown, where the pros are playing this weekend, uh, had a large impact on his work and a lot of the golf courses that we, the common man, uh, enjoy, you know, today. Uh, And so this segment, the Trip Scout segment, is proudly presented to you by Suave Golf. Please visit suavegolf.com. There you will find sabbaticals, golf forward vacations for the soul. Uh, We've got you know, a couple of multi-day trips. We uh, sometimes do single-day events. We're locking in the final details for the second annual Barefoot Classic at this very moment, which is uh, going to be taking place this fall. Uh, we are going to be posting our two big sabbaticals for 2024 on May 1st of this year. Uh, so we are going to be going to Bannon Dunes Golf Resort late March of 2024, and then we're going to stay in the Dream Golf Portfolio and visit Sand Valley in Wisconsin in early October of 2024. You can find out more information about both of those Suave sabbaticals and register beginning on May 1st at suavegolf.com. Visit the sabbaticals tab. Uh, We also have a few items, apparel, things that help you feel and look suave both on and off the golf course. So once again, I invite you to visit suavegolf.com. Dot com, a place where you're going to find, you know, gatherings that bring together a lot of nice grass and a lot of nice people. Okay, uh, for the Trip Scout, like I said, the pros are playing Harbortown on Hilton Head, South Carolina. I will say I have not been myself. I have some in-laws that lived on Hilton Head Island for a number of years uh, and who really enjoyed it. They played a lot of golf. They were always encouraging me to get out there and come visit. I was... Never actually able to make the trip. Um, but I have done a little bit of research here, you know, and uh, I know that Harbortown is part of the Sea Pines Resort, which has three total golf courses, two Pete Dye courses. So there's obviously Harbortown itself and there's Heron Point, <coughs> which honestly looks pretty great. Like, you know, when I was kind of doing a little research on Heron Point, the other Pete Dye course at the Sea Pines Resort, it almost kind of looked like a mixture of like Augusta and Sawgrass. But if they were located inside like a high-end development with houses on the golf course. So I thought it looked really awesome. There's also another Davis Love the Third course at the Sea Pines Resort. Uh, I believe that one's called Atlantic Dunes. It used to be their ocean course until it was renovated by DL3. That looks awesome. There's also another golf resort uh, called the Palmetto Dunes Oceanfront Resort. That has three courses as well. And just on Hilton Head Island, there are 16 public golf courses available on the island in addition to a handful of private courses. So, you know, if you are watching the Heritage, uh, you know, this year or any other year, and it looks like a golf course that tickles your fancy, there's enough golf in the close proximity that I would say it's probably worth it to go visit and enjoy a long weekend there. You know, you could even probably go book a house for a week and you're still not going to run out of golf courses to play. Um, If the golf course doesn't look like your particular cup of tea, then maybe you find somewhere else. But, uh, all in all, if I was forced to take a golf trip to Hilton Head Island, I think, uh, you know, I think I'd have a pretty good time. You know, I, th- I think I would enjoy myself. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and give a thumbs up to Hilton Head Island in terms of golf. Uh, Harbortown is on my list of courses that I have to play before uh, 
I ultimately perish, whether that is in a couple years from now or several decades from now. Uh, would love to play Harbor Town. Always enjoy watching the pros play it. Um, also, you know, quick little side note: the RBCT RBC Heritage is a designated event this year, so pretty much all the very best players in the world are going to be there. Sands Rory McIlroy, who withdrew. This is now the second designated event he's going to be missing in 2023, which I don't think they're supposed to be missing a couple of events like that, so we'll see what happens with Rory. But John Rahm, you know, just four days after winning the Masters, is teeing it up again in a competitive event, so that should be fun. Um, I hope you guys are going to get a chance to watch that tournament. But, uh, again, because this is our Trip Scout segment, uh, we're more or less just here to let you guys know that uh, Hilton Head Island, good for golf. All right, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time since the last episode of the Stony Sports Podcast, Cousin Mark is back on the program. What's what's going on, man? Not much. Um, and, you know, the, the Stony Sports Podcast is down, but not entirely out. It's not, I mean... There's still a pulse. The bones are still here. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we still got the ownership rights, too, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, we, we, we no longer own the stonysports.com domain, but I do have the whole, uh, the you know, the whole catalog of all of our work for, you know, over that uh, that year. Um, but, you know, we, we, we can put it back up whenever we need to. And, uh, you know, hey, I, it just feels good to be back with you, man. Absolutely. We will let this be a preview. You know, we'll see if it's actually actually worth firing back up again. Yeah, that's not so bad. Here, let me get your uh, mic just a little closer to sure there we oh, that's, go oh man that sounds delightful um hey man i i figured i i really wanted to bring you back on because we watch a lot of warriors basketball together yes you, you know we, we've got uh some you know some varying but also some similar takes on this warriors team um and i just felt it was the appropriate time for for you and i to talk about a basketball team that i've been pretty down on for, for, for the last couple of months, you know, I maybe just trying to safeguard against my own emotions, you know, trying to prepare myself for the worst while, you know, also kind of hoping for the best. Um, I don't know, man. What's, you know, just give me a general feel of where, where you're at here going into the Warriors' first-round matchup against the Sacramento Kings. Well, I mean, first of all, just a little background there. I'm usually a bit more optimistic, and you're, you're a bit more pessimistic. Yeah, that's fair. To put it lightly, but we do maybe – tend to meet in the middle on a, on a several things. Um, like we both agree, I, Jonathan Kaminga is athletic. Yeah, he's extremely athletic and has a really high ceiling, but we're just not – I'm not quite sure. We'll get. I think we're going to get to Kaminga here in we a will. second. We will. You'll hear my hot take there on that one soon. Um, but in general, like to answer the question, I feel, I feel good. I mean, there's no reason not to feel good. <clears throat> until we see this team actually lose in a seven game series when you know the three cornerstones are are all healthy and go so until i see that happen um i think there's reason to to have a little bit of confidence it does kind of seem like most people are picking the warriors to win this series which is again i think we've established that i can be a little you know i i've been a little negative with this warriors team because i feel like it just seems like every time they're playing a game where it requires some clutch play down the stretch, for whatever reason, this team that has been absolute stones for the last decade just forgets how to perform in crunch time. And it just it's happened so many times this year that I feel like they've almost broken my spirit a little bit where I'm now just defaulting to assuming that they're not going to pull through when they need to. And it's a fucking playoffs, baby. They, 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 they're they going to have to play well in crunch time i don't know that do you feel like they are gonna wake up now given that it's the playoffs and they're you know the most championship tested team in the nba well yeah i, I think that's definitely the question is are the really bad turnovers and like the jordan pool dribbling off his leg with you know under a minute to go like those types of situations is that down one is that is that like past them right now because they have had a pretty nice like three or four weeks right now where they've actually had like you know 
consistent defensive efforts most of the time. Are they like eight, they were, like eight and three or nine and four to finish out the season or something like that? I mean, the Trailblazers had nothing to play for and no Damian Lillard, but they still beat them like one fifty seven to a hundred. And if you're something like that, I, I I'm not sure exactly how much it was Portland a shellacking, scored, but it was right about a hundred points for Portland. It was happening during the Masters on Sunday, so I I I, I was paying attention to that game two percent. Well, they, I mean, they put it away early. It was like an old school Warriors game. But, like, the point I'm making is if you're going to, like, actually make a run in the playoffs, you should definitely win that game 157 to 100, you yeah. know? So, like, to me, that was a really encouraging sign. Yeah. Um, so, and they've been trending that way, I feel like, for several weeks now. So, I'm, I mean, I'm confident. I feel like they see what month it is and they start to like click a little bit more um there's nothing that worries you at all about like during the season every time they'd win you know three four once i think they won five games in a row i think i remember you very clearly thinking like you know what man i think this team is back and they immediately go on the road and just lose five out of six games in heartbreaking fashion i i, I should i not be preparing myself for something like that that's what this in, that's the cycle of this entire season for me is i felt like that like at least no really like five different times throughout the course of the season you, you've, been, you've been very positive throughout all the struggles it's been really it's, take been, off. it's been impressive to watch the reality is that like since that 24 and like three start or whatever it was last year they've been pretty much 500 like in the regular season obviously so yes. yes they have i'm just wondering if it's a team that's lost interest in the regular season which makes sense given their age and their experience and you know just everything that they've accomplished during this run to think that maybe like what the regular season is is obviously getting in the playoffs being healthy being relatively rested and so you know i think maybe that's the purpose of the regular season for the warriors now and now here they are in the playoffs when we do have some question marks but um I don't know. Maybe that's a segue. Like maybe we can get into the questions here that that we had because, like, I think that's my that's a summary. I think that can can catch the uh, the good listeners up about like how I've been processing this. this well, so this, this I, I, I think season. okay. I think let, let's let's stay on that then. So I feel like a line of demarcation for the Warriors fans this season has been Jordan Poole, right? I feel like Jordan Poole has maybe elicited more. Just just more feelings, both positive and negative. I would say slightly more negative than positive, but he certainly seems to be the most talked about warrior outside of Stephen Clay. And honestly, he's probably been talked about more than Stephen Clay this year because he's been healthy all year. Um, you know, he signed a huge extension in last offseason. You know, when you get paid, man, the expectation is you are going to be good, especially when Warriors fans have been watching Stephen Curry. Clay Thompson, Draymond Green for a decade. Like, if you're good and you get paid by the Warriors, that means we, you know, Warriors fans should expect some pretty good things. I think Jordan Poole actually has been pretty good this season. Um, I, I don't think he's been as good as he was last season, but man, it seems like his the mistakes that he's making this past season are just so much more poorly timed than they were last year. Like, he's it just seems like you mentioned earlier, like dribbling off your leg or, you know, trying to go to the rack against three defenders in the paint and just getting stuffed. Like, it, it just seems like he got blocked at the rim five times as much this season that he did last season. I don't know if he was really doing anything differently. I don't know if he actually did get worse. I think, like I said, I think the timing just in the, the parts of the games that it was happening kind of magnified, you know, you know, magnify those mistakes. But, I, again... I think we've already established that I'm a little pessimistic. I, I'd be curious to hear a more, uh, a more, a more positive person, you know, views the Jordan Poole experience from this past year. I mean, I you're not the only person in this camp on on Jordan Poole, obviously. Um, I've been a bit more frustrated with Poole than you might think. I mean, he's really a liability, like defensively at this point. And I, what I was thinking too, when you mentioned the, you know, the big three is 
all of those guys are defenders, and Steph actually like worked his way into being a defender. You know, like I mean, Clay and Draymond have been. Draymond is still elite. Clay is really, really good still defending. I don't know. I think he's maybe slipped a little bit out of elite. I think it's. I I think it's really fantastic. Maybe even elite still. I think it's pretty objective to say Clay isn't what he was athletically on defense, but the dude is now a four-time champion like very savvy veteran defender where he you know he he's not Andre Iguodala in his prime but I feel like I've seen Clay especially in last year's playoffs and then when he's actually trying in the regular season he's picking a lot more dudes pockets than he used to right like he's got nice hands well I think the point I'm making is those three love to compete including loving to compete on defense and 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 I don't know where we are with pool with that is this He's so athletic and he's so quick. It's hard to believe that it's like an athleticism problem and like keeping a guy in front of him. So that I think is an area to be a little bit frustrated with. It's it's I mean, knowing the game plan and then obviously the effort. So when that's not there and you're making that much money, I feel like, you know, there's going to be some reason. Plus the turnovers, which are a bit more obvious and easier to see. I I think there's going to be. You know, naturally a little frustration with the contract. But, like, at the same time, he the one thing that's encouraging about him is I feel like he's starting to actually score in games that, like, Steph and Clay score in. For the longest time, I always felt like if if Curry had a great game, then Poole was going to have, like, eight points, you know, and vice versa. Almost, Just not enough know? air for both of them. Yeah, and, and the fact that both of them are, have been scoring a lot in the same game is I – mean, I think that that's encouraging, but – Overall, I think the the jury is still um, still out a little bit on pool, um, but at the same time, he does stuff all the time that no one else really in the league can do, just with his quickness, ability to get to the bucket, he's creativity. A very, like he's got, yeah. he's Jordan really Poole, amazing and talented. He's I, a very I, gifted basketball well, player, and that's what I I think like the positive spin I'll put on this then is that like the things that we are frustrated with him about are things that are very coachable and very correctable. And, you know, he's a pretty young player who really has only had like two, you know, successful years in the NBA. That's, that's really, really, um, you know, early on in his, in his career, especially relative to Steph and clay and Draymond. And especially when you talk about Steph, like I feel like as a Warriors fan, you know, if I, I sometimes, you know, when I'm being, find myself being really critical of Jordan Poole, I do feel like I need to remind myself to look in the mirror a little bit because it's not like Steph Curry throughout his prime didn't turn the ball over a lot. Like, Steph, for how, for how fucking great Steph is, you know, I mean, I, you know, I think we'll get into a little more detail here in the next couple minutes, but, I mean, you know, this is a guy who's inarguably one of the three best players of his generation, you know, Definitely. him, LeBron, and Tim Duncan. Yeah, we, we, were, we established you know, that. Maybe, you know, Kobe, Kobe too. Like, he's, he's in that same tier with all those guys, right? Sure. And for as great as he is, Steph Curry's always committed way more just silly fucking turnovers. Like, <laughs> almost no, that- borderline senseless turnover. But it's Steph, so, like, most of us just don't think twice. Where are the turnovers that Jordan Poole is committing? that much more egregious than what we've just become accustomed to watching Steph do with Steph with kind of like the overhand pass um yeah it was a, for people for those that, you know not uh, not watching the non-existent video that, that was a nice little almost kind of like skyhook kind of motion yeah. coming from Mark right there yeah from the side <laughs> the, um, but yeah no i so you know thinking basketball shout out right now and the um the best players at their peak i think when we like you know this it's basically essentially it's a segment called thinking basketball where they talk about um the best players during their peak, their peak three years. And I think what I love about it is they, they, you know, they also like throw a little bit of shade at like the legends, which I think is awesome because you learn way more about their games and like who they really were as like a full basketball player. Anyway, I feel like that's going to be the thing on Steph when they, when they do. And I, I believe they've done one on Steph and I, it probably is something like this where it's like, it's the turnovers. That's going to be the thing when, when you're like, but like, yeah, he was this, this, and this, and this, but like, here's a couple of things that like made him kind of human. Um, and it's, all, and it's always going to be the turnovers. Yeah. It's somewhat mortal. Exactly. And it's always going to be the turnovers. I feel like um, with Steph and that's just something you live with. Cause he's so amazing and changes the entire game every single night. And, and just, 
I mean, the the splits when he's off the floor for the Warriors and, or, and is on the floor, it's, um, you know, night and day with offensive efficiency. Like, do, so. you, do you feel like Steph's turnovers, you know, when he was turning the ball over, it was because he was trying to be flashy or because he was maybe getting too aggressive in terms of trying to get ball to Like, when Draymond commits a lot of turnovers, it's because he's trying too hard to fit the ball through super small windows and he's just making crazy aggressive passes that kind of, you know, can you know, start to go wrong a little bit. Steph does that too, but Steph also, you know, Steph's also a showman, right? Like, sure. you know, he, he and I feel like a lot of Jordan Poole's turnovers are, you know, the showman kind of they're trying to be he's kind of trying to get a little too nice with the basketball, or he like you said, or he just dribbles off his foot. Maybe that's one and the same. And I, I, I don't know, is, is that dramatically different than the kind of turnovers that Steph Curry tended to make? over the course of his career i think when he it's was, hard to say i guess i feel like when he was young they, it was probably pretty similar hmm. um now i feel like steph just sometimes does like lackadaisical stuff you know where you're just where yeah. I, maybe I, I don't know i'm not the man's built up so a good so much goodwill <laughs> exactly. though that it's almost like you don't really notice when yeah i know i don't, I don't want to come on here to, to trash steph curry you no, know? That's, I, that's, I don't, don't, don't want to fly no, that flag that's, that, not, that's <laughs> not who i am that's, uh, that's um, not what we're trying to do here <laughs> yeah exactly um one of the greatest 10 players ever in right. my uh, humble opinion as, as we go less big picture then let's let's focus in a little bit on what's uh, what's going to be starting on saturday right 5 30 saturday game one warriors at the kings breaking you know the longest streak in north american major sports for you know playoff you know playoff droughts sure i imagine you know i, I know i think we both know a lot of kings fans they're very excited um it's been a long time i don't know what what do you think about like I mean, from the Warriors games that you've watched where they've played the Kings and maybe some other Kings games that perhaps you've watched, I mean, do you think this team is, is good enough to beat the defending champs? Yeah, for sure. Uh, but um, Honestly. Yeah, no, they definitely are. I, I think that in the West, with exception to whatever this 1-8 matchup is, as we record this on Thursday night, I... I feel like any team can actually win those series. You know, I think, you know, Minnesota or um, Minnesota or OKC, I feel like either I feel like they would be really it'd be a fantastic effort if they could win two games, you know, but sure. I, I really feel like in the other series that any team is capable of winning. I f feel like there's a, a scenario maybe the Clippers are going to struggle there, too. So, so but like for the most part, like it, they're. They, I expect to see some fairly evenly matched series. Um, with that being said, I'll just throw like I'm taking the Warriors in six. Just my, you know, we'll get that out there right now. You and uh, you they, and Zach Lowe. Is that true? Yeah, I, nice. was, I, I was just listening to a little bit of the Low Post, you know, earlier today, and I think he was rating all the first round playoff series according to, you know, which ones he thinks are the juiciest. And I, either the top three or the three of the top four were all from the Western Conference. I think he had Lakers, Memphis, number one, oh, Warriors, Kings, two, and then I think Suns, Clippers, three. Okay. Those are three great series mm -hmm. that really anybody could win. So I, I, I totally agree with you on that one. I wish Paul George was healthy for oh, the, the, the um, Suns, Clippers. Then that would be a really good series. Um but no, I I expect the King. The Kings are good. Mike Brown definitely has some corporate knowledge. I think that's something that you know could play a factor. Um, but I just love the experience of the Warriors here. Like I mean, that's that's kind of what you know everyone is saying. Um, but it's you know it's very valid. The there's almost no playoff experience. I'm, I'm not sure that I would say no playoff experience. We don't research here. Um, but I'm just going to go out on not the, 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 yeah the non golf part of this podcast. There's is very <laughs> anti research. We shoot from the hip around here. Um, so I'm going to say very few, just to be safe. It possibly no one has playoff experience on the Kings. At least no one that I can think of that really plays a role in that team. Maybe. Um, what's Malik Monk maybe does somewhere, but like for the most part, like who has, you know, experience. Um, so that I think is a factor. Well, it, I'm glad that you mentioned Mike Brown, because I think one of the things that's made the Warriors so great over, you know, the, their dynastic run of the last, you know, eight, nine, ten years is Steve Kerr and his staff are always so good at making adjustments throughout a series. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of reading and reacting to what the other team is doing and finding a way to ultimately win four games in advance. Um, Mike Brown has been a big part of a lot of those, you know, a lot of those adjustments and a lot of the coaching that uh, th this team has, you know, had on, on route to winning several championships. I guess my question to you is, 
Mike Brown obviously can now do the same thing for his team and his staff, but do you think his institutional knowledge of Steve Kerr and how the Warriors play will nullify the impact the Warriors normally have when they're making adjustments throughout a series? I was actually stressing about that at some point in the last 24 hours for sure. Where I, I really do think that that's a fact. Like Mike and Brown's I, like, like, all right, we've been doing this. I know how Steve thinks. He's going to do this. I think we can counter what I think his counter is going to be. Now, I don't. If is that too far in the week? Is that something where, like, hey man, like, I, I don't know if coaches can only react to things they've seen on the court, but I feel like I wouldn't put it past Mike Brown to try to outmaneuver Steve and try to plan Steve's counters ahead of time and readjust for those. That oh. that seems totally possible no definitely i think that that's a really really valid point and i know that is precisely what has me a little bit worried in, in terms of this matchup i love the experience side in terms of the players but like possibly mike brown's experience and knowledge of the warriors could help to balance that out a little bit yeah. so i think that's a yeah a really really valid point you know if the warriors are going to win this series and really unless some really crazy shit happens uh pretty much every series going forward they're going to have to win at least a game on the road in every series. and uh, That's what they do. I mean, based on what we've seen this season, that does seem somewhat far-fetched. Sure. Yes, but in the play, I'm just hoping that the ca the calendar has turned now. This is the season that the Warriors have been ramping up for. And, like, just to stay, stay positive here and, and optimistic, like, this is a team that has – traditionally always won a game on the road yeah. somewhere i think i think i told you that uh kevin wilds was on uh bill simmons's podcast a couple weeks ago i think i shared that analogy with you where he said the warriors are basically like a 45 year old dude with kids you know their, their basketball season is how they approach their social life i'm paraphrasing here but he's like you know if you're 45 years old and a friend from in town calls you he's like hey you want to go out and grab some drinks uh, you know like meet, meet us at 10 o'clock no no i don't want to go do that i i want to go to bed i don't want to do that but if you have like a really good friend from like out of town who you haven't seen in like three years, like hey, you want to meet me at ten o'clock? It's like, fuck yeah, let's go tie one off. Like let's you know let 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 let's go do it. The 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 playoffs are that friend that lives four hours away, you know, from the Warriors that they don't see very often, that, and then that would be great. So that, all credit to Kevin Wilds for the great analogy. But I I'm hoping that's true. And it, given this team's history, that doesn't seem that crazy to me. No, I think that that's a great call and a great take. Um, no, I totally feel that it's. They are now at that point in this whole thing where that's what they basically do is they they just ramp up and in, in all year and, and are ready for you know the the two month season. So that and and I think you you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but like they have also mastered this like seven game series season. You know, like they're they definitely. Like, I think the Celtics was like the master class of that where after like three games, we all were like freaking out and kind of like, well, hopefully we can like, you know, just push it to six. Like, and then, you know, they then step in game four. Happens. They made they made some adjustments and then Steph happened. And like basically when Steph got it to two, two in game four, it was like the series was over. That's it was absolutely wild. You know, just how incredibly dominant that was to just think about where we all were and what everyone was feeling, you know, fans and players from what we could at least, you know, I don't get a gauge for, get a read on. Like it felt like it was over. And that is really wild to think that it was felt that way. And it was two, two in the finals, um, just based on, on Steph and, and, you know, and the coaching adjustments. So, but one thing Steph Curry did that we've, you know, had, had some conversations about, you know, off air is he went on a freaking heater and it like, are we going to see Steph Curry go on like a two month legend, like 35 old man strength heater? Can he do it and, again? Like, and Draymond also in the same, I mean, Draymond's defense has been fantastic this year and someone that absolutely probably should have gotten a lot more defensive player of the year votes than he ended up getting. Like he really was, even though the Warriors defense this year was pretty shit. Draymond's still so fucking good. I mean, he's the best defender of his generation by a mile. For sure. It, the fact that Rudy Gobert has two, three times as many Defensive Player of the Year awards over Draymond is... Uh, people are going to look back at that, and that will be a travesty. That is wild. Like, Dray, uh, yeah, it's absolutely insane, given how limited his skill set is defensively. Um, 
Other other thing too to mention is like Kevon Looney's playing the best basketball of his career right now. The Iron he's Man. played a lot of good basketball in his career, so like that is really saying something. Um, and I think he like I'm really interested to see him and Sabonis. Like that's a matchup that I really am looking forward Kevon to. Kevon Looney, one of the best defensive rebounders in the NBA. Demonte Sabonis, one of the best offensive rebounders in the NBA. So when the Kings are on offense. Uh, second chance opportunities are going to be highly contested. I think that is going to be. A, I, I'm with you 100. That's going to be a awesome battle to watch. Very, very awesome. I mean, so do you think Kavon Looney can then give the Warriors a little bit of that juice in the offensive glass? Because that's one place the Warriors have been struggling all season long. And honestly, that's actually something the Warriors have struggled with for years. Is you know just getting? <laughs> I'm, I'm still having fucking flashbacks. Of Carlos Boozer, you know the the you know Utah Jazz Carlos Boozer in the second round of the We Believe Year, just at, piling up what felt like 45 offensive rebounds a game against the Warriors. And I feel like ever since then, I, I don't know if the Warriors have ever been a plus offensive rebounding team, even throughout this dynastic run. So it, it'll be interesting to see if they can somehow find a little juice from Kavan or anybody else to try to GP give these guys too. some second up. You know. GP two actually, yeah, that's a, that's a well, great. I mean, man, it's been nice having him back. Oh, it's great. It's it's been really great. I th I think I mean he absolutely impacts the game just with the way he plays in his defense, but he also gives so much energy to the dudes around him when he makes those types of plays. I, I think he's he's an infectious type of a player. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm really thrilled that he's back. I mean, this team, you know, did what they did to the Celtics, and they're the exact same group essentially except for Bielitsa and Otto Porter and Porter's been done like absolutely nothing this year so that's what he would have done for the Warriors and Bielitsa might have been Europe. nice to have yeah I mean yeah he's not, he's not playing in the NBA but it, like I feel like having Bielitsa would have been for sure would be pretty nice right now I'm sure he won the MVP of his league wherever it is <laughs> but like yeah I mean but essentially though this is like the same team you know and we have Andrew Wiggins back who hasn't played in you know like 3 months or whatever. Yeah, what do you what do you, what do you think's going to happen with Wiggs? What's your prediction with how he gets reintegrated? Like how do you think they're going to work him back in and do you think he gets back to like 80 or 90% of the Andrew Wiggins we saw in last year's playoffs by by the time the Warriors either get eliminated or move on? I heard today that they're expecting like 20 to 25 minutes off of him uh, from him off the bench to start. So what we get out of that, I, he's such a wild card because we've seen him come back from injuries and just be so lethargic. So a and, wild and card cold, might even be cold and yeah. cold from the field. Like yeah. he comes back from like, you know, an injury layoff. And again, who knows if it's injury related or who knows if it's just like they a rhythm thing. Not. But he he clanks shots when he's coming back and he's not yes. feeling good and it like it it's hard to watch too because he's just hitting solid iron and it's like man we we're, we're not feeling it right now and but steve loves his veterans he loves andrew wiggins so i, I feel like he's going to let him play through it it's just the fact that it's the playoffs and that's what he's going to be doing is going to be fucking stressful for warriors fans sure. man I, well and with with wiggins when he, I was wondering how much it felt like he was a dude playing with some things on his mind for a while, because there were times during these during his kind of off again, on again season where you could he just did not look invested. He looked really, really lethargic and weird, like and, and just for a guy that athletic, just so uninterested. Um, he looked good to start the season, but man, that's like six months ago now. That shit doesn't well, even matter I mean, anymore. It, it does check out with everything that was going on. So I'm kind of hoping that was it, and we're, um, you know, he's in a space where he can he can play and contribute. But I, I think with him, it's gonna be so wait and see. Like, and if if I had to really like, you know, make a prediction on that one, I I would say like let's not rely on him for too much right away yes. um and, and and hopefully by and i'm sure this has got to be the internal plan too and, and hopefully if we are able to advance a little bit here in like western conference finals maybe we start to see some some playoff wigs so. yeah do you think the warriors can beat the kings without andrew wiggins being good yeah i mean we've been afloat without andrew wiggins being good like I mean, Dante has been so awesome this year, especially once he's kind of figured out the. It's like a a bumpy, weird first few months with him, but since then he's been 
phenomenal. Like everyone's like, oh, I can't. Yeah, we got to keep him. It's like we're never going to be saying, able to zero percent chance the Warriors are able to retain Dante DiVincenzo. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, zero percent. So, and he has an opt out after this year, correct? I think so. I know that he's only on on under contract for one year, and I'm almost certain. Yeah, it's either I, a I one thought year. he signed like a multi year deal, but then has an opt out after okay. one, one or okay. something well, like that. What, Again, we're not. We don't fact check on the podcast. Hit, he's exactly. He's he's hitting the open market one way or another next year, and he's just going to be too expensive to keep. Um, at least that's that's what I think. Unfortunately, plus you have GP two now, who who kind of fills that role. You know, mo- at least money wise, you know, money will dictate how many spots we can unfortunately give out for to good good players. Um, but he, I expect him to have an awesome series. This is a revenge series for him too. Like he had that one, I think one year in Sacramento, and then they got rid of him. So was he? No, I don't think he was ever in Sac. No, he was. He was last year. Yeah, he was. Andrew Wiggins. No, no, no. I'm talking Dante. Oh, Dante Divincenzo. Okay, yeah. you're right. No, sorry, sorry. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Stony Sports. Stony Sports is back. Um, all right. If we're gonna wrap wrap this thing up here pretty soon, uh, with Andrew Wiggins coming back, I'm a little bit afraid that it means that there's going to be less opportunities for, you know, of all the guys that don't have four titles on this team, is it safe to say the most fun guy to have watched the past month is Johnny Kaminga? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You know, his, his, his aside from, for me, aside from probably Dante, who's not, you know, named Steph Curry like or Clay, like definitely um, I would say that Kaminga has been really, really fun. He's he's figuring it out. He's kind of growing by the day, you know, um, defensively figuring out like things that he can do offensively, figuring out he's not doing too much offensively, too, which I love. Um there's a lot to be excited about with him. I think the he still he has a very high ceiling, and you know we'll see. But I think that there's a, a great opportunity for him to kind of you know announce that certainly to the NBA world that he has at least the potential to be like a very very excellent player and is already a really good player. You you know I, I'm not I haven't looked any stats to back this up. I'm purely going off the eye test here, but. In the last month, I mean, he's always been super athletic, right? He can get to the rim in a way that no other player on the Warriors can. He's just got that lift. He's got that athleticism that he can go through people. Just nobody else on the Warriors is in the same athletic realm as Johnny Kaminga, mm-hmm. especially around the rim, right? But I do feel like in the last month, his jumpers looked a little bit better. His three-pointer seems to go in a little bit more often than it used to. I feel like he's got enough tools in the toolbox where he could play – some meaningful minutes and have a winning impact on this team but Steve Kerr generally does not like to give young guys a lot of run in impact situations so I it's going to be very interesting to see how much run Steve Kerr gives him especially when you consider last year we were saying similar things about how it was we were start we, going into last year's postseason we thought that we saw Jonathan Kaminga playing enough you know, playing well enough in certain times where we thought he was going to get some minutes in the postseason. And Moses Moody ended up playing more meaningful playoff minutes than Johnny Kaminga did. Is that something that could happen again this year? I mean, do you think that this is finally the time for him to actually get some some serious rep, playoff reps? It, well, very quickly, Moses has played really well the last, like, Yes, couple he has. weeks. Yes, um, he so, has. You know, that's that's. I wouldn't hate to, to see Moses Moody on. getting minutes either. Yeah, for sure, that's something to keep an eye on. But. Um, in terms of of Kaminga, I, I expect him to continue what he's been doing in the regular season into the postseason. I don't I don't feel like how I don't feel how his game would change because he is so explosive and he is such a great athlete that like I guess with Wiggins coming back, like, those are those are minutes that Jonathan Kaminga has been getting, and I'm just hoping that Wiggins playing 25 minutes doesn't mean that Kaminga's not going to be getting 15 at least. You know. It, Absolutely, in the early going, well, we figure out what we're going to get from Wiggins, 100%. I feel like, you know, Kaminga's earned that time, and Wiggins, we, we integrate him back in, and we hope that he is just able to get up to speed. But I think we can expect expect things from Kaminga. I think we need, like, we can rely on Kaminga. I feel like he's there at that point in his career, which is fantastic because the dude's 20 years old, you know? So, like, it, it's a really... It's really exciting that we're even having this conversation about a twenty-year-old, twenty-year-old player. Yeah, yeah, it's something the Warriors have not had in a long time. This is uh, 
man, if only the Giants could develop outfielders the way that uh, the Warriors have developed talent over the last 10 years, wouldn't that be nice? I mean, it really hasn't happened since. The Giants would love to have Jonathan Kaminga. Sorry, everybody. I mean, Willie Mays was homegrown, right? You know, like really, like when was the last time the Giants had like an outfielder from – from the system, so uh, Marvin Bernard, I think, is is, right. is the answer. Yes. Right. Um. All right, man. So I w- this is where I would ask you what your prediction is for the series, but I think you already gave it to us. Warriors and six. Warriors and six. Yep. Uh, next most likely scenario after Warriors and six would be what? I mean, the most likely would be Memphis, but it'd be no, no. no I mean, I mean, for this series, if the Warriors don't win it in six, what's the next most oh, likely outcome? Oh, sure. Um. I would say Kings and seven. Ooh! Wow. Um, man, I I hate how much I I hate how much I I like that in terms of its like truth value. Um, well, in I'll be the I'll be the um the optimist and say Warriors in seven then. Okay, so you're 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 picking Warriors in six. I feel like I have to pick Kings in seven because, as we've previously stated, you know my pessimism. I mean, I've been saying that the Warriors have no chance to get out of the play-in game for about two and a half to three months now and somehow they skirted in the six seed so i feel like my my negative attitude towards the warriors helped motivate them to get them out of yeah. the play-in so i think by me calling kings and seven maybe that's the kick in the ass these guys need yeah i'm i'm sure they're going to be listening yeah. so i i think that that definitely is good that that's out there we talk a lot of high level golf and we talk basketball i mean this is a podcast it's essentially tailor-made for steph curry what if steph what if steph is one of your listeners that would be really incredible that would be remarkably exciting that'd be so that would be that would make me really he should tell everyone you get like get like a, a million more people on the next one <laughs> like be amazing um should try to get this podcast playing in the locker room at his golf club so he just yeah. has to <laughs> be great see the people down at you just need one you really just need one fan and this thing totally takes off everything's we get like the huge remodel on the garage you know just put everything up above here just chip in for like the 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 stony sports studio that'd be pretty amazing yeah that would be oh, i mean it'd be great Steph, come on you're, Steph, if you're Steph, out there if you're listening man you fucking got this brother i i, I truly i you know I'd, I'd like to pick warriors and you know warriors and four but i just it just doesn't seem that just doesn't seem reasonable no, 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 definitely not. This we're we're going to grind. It's not gonna, too many fucking games. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But I am, you know, I'm excited for this for this run. Why shouldn't we be? Let's uh, let's enjoy every last bit of this this um, this run we're on. And who knows how quickly it could change with a with a Myers and Green free agency offseason coming up. You know, everything could be a lot different. So. I think that that'll be my sign off for tonight is let's let's really enjoy this thing no matter what happens because it, it could be going away sooner than we think. Yeah. Or sooner than we uh, hope. That is a uh, mostly positive note to end on. Cousin Mark. Good job, partner. Hey, thank you. Right yeah. on, man. Yeah. We'll be back for uh, some more more Warriors hoops discussion here. Ho- hopefully for the next couple months. Yes, we will. All right. Until next time, everybody. Adios. Thank you for listening to Nice Grass, Nice People. And don't forget to visit SuaveGolf.com for any of your golf sabbatical needs. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. Woo!